The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. Today we're discussing Penance, which is the second episode of the second season of Picard. I'm Father Cory Stika, taking over for Dom Bettinelli this week, and joining me today is Jimmy Aiken. How's it going, Jimmy? Howdy, Father. You can get your own uh, very own Secrets of Star Trek t-shirts, mouse pads, and more by visiting sqpn.com slash merch. Let me also take a moment to tell you about another show here on the StarQuest Network that you're sure to enjoy, American Catholic History. Find it wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash history. Also, we uh, continue to listen to the end where we have some listener feedback on our recent uh, episode about generations. So, Jimmy, would you like to give a recap of Penance? Last time, Picard ordered the Stargazer to self-destruct after his peace mission to the Borg went sideways. He and the rest of the gang wake up in a rewritten version of our timeline, where Earth is the home of a totalitarian government that is built on galactic domination and has killed and subjugated multiple species. As the team pieces this together and starts getting the band back together, they learn that it's Eradication Day, a public holiday in which enemies of the state are publicly eradicated. Hmm. Um, Scheduled to be executed is the last Borg Queen. So this is the end of the Borg Collective. But she informs the team that time has been rewritten, starting with something that happened in 2024 in Los Angeles. She also alludes to a watcher who will be there to help them. Picard decides to fly around the sun to go back in time, but they need to take the Borg Queen with them so she can do the calculations. Picard pretends to go through with the public execution of the Borg Queen in order to buy time, and after a team effort, everybody gets beamed up to the La Serena. But before they can leave to fly around the sun, security forces beam onto the ship, capture everyone, and announce that Picard will be executed as a traitor, killed in the act of rescuing a Borg, which is not a good thing in any timeline, and especially not in this totalitarian one. The end. So it's interesting. Uh, Q is very different in this, in, in kind of in my opinion. He, he's very mm-hmm. different than we normally see him. Usually, he's he's almost kind of a dark court jester. Jester, I you know I would yeah, call he, him. He's more serious in this than he frequently is. Yeah, very much so. Uh, he mentions uh, yesterday's Enterprise. He names drops that episode, and that's really kind of a hint of what has happened. Why why everything has changed? That there was a some historical event got switched. That, you know, yesterday's Enterprise course, for those who might not remember, is the, the Enterprise C ends up in the Enterprise D's time frame coming from the, the, the battle that ends up creating the, the peace between the Klingons and the Federation. And so it switches where the Klingon war is still going on. Yeah, there's also another kind of revisit. um, And at this point in Star Trek history, so many things have been done. Almost every episode is going to revisit themes from some previous Mm -hmm. episode. But uh, there's another one, uh, just like last time I mentioned, we're kind of redoing Tapestry, where, um, where Q shows Picard what could have been instead of what is. And we've got that going on here, too. But this time it's got a dash of mirror, mirror. From the mm-hmm. original series thrown in because we have this dark alternate timeline 
And so we've got to see our familiar, nice, fluffy, weak federation, sloppy, you know, let's all have a hug and be together in our togetherness um, federation people um, who have to now play act as totalitarians in order to pass and achieve their goals. And we've seen that a bunch. I mean, ever since the original series, we have seen uh, the only one that we really didn't see it in was Next Gen. But Mm -hmm. in every other Star Trek series, we have had visits to the mirror universe where our friendly heroes have to play unfriendly villains in order to survive. And we 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 end up spending some time realizing how uncomfortable that is for them. And sometimes they have a lot of hand wringing about Mm -hmm. What are they going to do? Are they really going to do this evil thing in order to fit in or not? And this time we don't have very much of that, which is good because we've seen that. We've done that. Right. This is old hat. Just do the evil thing and get on with it. Right. Um, you know, uh, and so I think they handled that. OK, although it and I don't mind that we're in this dark totalitarian universe or version of the timeline. but. I have this having watched enough of this, including on on different science fiction shows, including Battlestar Mm -hmm. Galactica, where you have a a dystopian timeline. Um, People in Hollywood think they're being so deep. Oh, yeah. And when they do this kind of thing, it's like, oh, yeah, we're going to we're going to be making a bold statement about our politics today and how evil Republicans are and stuff. And Mm -hmm. it's like, dude, there's there's nothing here. That this is these are just bad people. This is just a bad timeline. You're not making any deep social statement here. Right. If you think you are, you're projecting and you 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 do not understand the people that you think you're critiquing. Exactly. Exactly. And and this, you know, to be clear, this isn't a mirror mirror episode. This is, as they say later on, this is their timeline, the same timeline, just tweaked with one event and of course it's always one event it's always one thing that causes the change back in 2024 so of course gee where are they going to hmm modern yeah. day basically basically also i'm not really impressed with their because they at first they are talking like oh we're in an alternate reality and then it's like no this is our reality that's been rewritten it's like dude same thing yeah. Um, I mean, it, 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 it's the same thing. Uh, there's not really a distinction between an alternate reality and a branching timeline. If it's similar at all to you, then then there was very likely some branching point. And they even have a, in Star Trek, they have established that with the mirror universe. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look back in the Star Trek Enterprise episodes through Glass Darkly, um, they when they introduce the mirror universe, they flash back to the moment of first contact with the Vulcans, mm-hmm. and they've they've got the you know, they've got like James whatever his name is who played Zephram Cochran James Cromwell. James Cromwell, they've got him back and instead of uh, and they use reuse footage from the movie First Contact, but they cut it together in such a way that now instead of extending his hand to greet the Vulcans peacefully, Zephram Cochran shoots them. Yeah. And, and that's what leads to the mirror timeline. Yeah, that's, that's kind of a clever way to clever way to do that. 
Um, this this one, I, I don't know. We'll have to see how it goes forward. But so far, it's just kind of like, OK, fine. There's one one major event that happens somewhere in time. Yeah. Uh, one thing that's kind of interesting is there's talk here. Picard mentions just really quickly that Q does not look well, he says. He says it doesn't look well and later describes him as unstable, not quite sane, which I think you yeah. could define Q that way normally anyways. I, but the, and that's part of the issue, because it, they don't make it obvious that Q is unwell. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm 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 watching John Delancey's performance as Q and his performance is different, but it doesn't seem he seems more serious. Right. He doesn't seem visibly unwell. Uh, that's just something Picard kind of declares. Right. Um, what I find interesting about Q, and I find this true not just in this episode, but across all of his different appearances, is yes, Q is annoying, but he is not as untrustworthy as people claim. Right. Um, and this this really goes all the way through. I mean, Q Q will show up and there will be trouble. And yes, he will be related to it somehow. But Picard and everybody else just leaps to you are somehow causing this and mm-hmm. and you are you are untrustworthy. And and Q. But if you really look at what Q tells them, he doesn't lie. Right. He he may be annoying. He may be a source of 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 difficulty at times, but he doesn't lie to them. Right. And he's really not as untrustworthy as people think. And so in this case, um, when he's first showing Picard around, look at your glorious, devastated hell, totalitarian hell world. Picard Mm -hmm. is like, what have you done? And and he makes this aside where he says, show them a world of their own making and they blame you for it. Right. And and he's right. He's not the one that that has done this. It was something back in 2024. He also says, I'm a suture in the wound. I'm Mm -hmm. holding this all together. This would be even worse if it wasn't for me, in essence. And and he I have no doubt he's telling the truth about that. He's trying to help here. Um, But uh, but Picard doesn't give him the cred. And you'd think after all this time, Picard would learn that. Yeah, Q doesn't actually lie. He, Mm -hmm. he, He may be annoying, but he doesn't actually lie to you. He's not as untrustworthy as you think. Right. And then he hits Picard, which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I was going to comment about that, that it, it, you can tell that Q is just as tired of Picard is with Q's games. Q is just as tired with Picard and he smacks him, which is very different from when he met Cisco. But um, yeah, they're not at a boxing match. This is like Q. Picard is, is yelling at Q and Q just backhands him when he's yeah, had enough. It, that was a pretty incredible. You know, and just kind of quick thought about the, you know, Q doesn't look well. It kind of interesting though when you look at, Patrick Stewart and John DeLancey next to each other. They're only eight years apart in age. Mm-hmm. John DeLancey is 74. Car, uh, Patrick Stewart's 82. John DeLancey has aged much better than Patrick Stewart has, mm-hmm. at least just as you see on screen. But so it's kind of interesting that Q is the one who's supposedly not well. But yeah, Q, Q doesn't. He, he's got a much stronger temper than he usually does. Um And it was kind of almost refreshing to see Q basically shut Picard up at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, one thing Q says as they're going through the tour of Picard's house, including the, the, uh, the study with all his trophies, the study is, is awesome. It's in a dark way. Yeah. But Q says that he's offering atonement and forgiveness. And of course, Picard's like, well, I don't know what for. And the response is, I think, you know, so 
whatever that is, is something that will be revealed going forward, I'm sure. Yeah, it's going to be something like from his past, maybe his childhood or something like that. Yeah. yeah since but the, go ahead. The, the tour around the house is yeah. is pretty amazing. So at the end of last episode, we saw the the glass room, um, which they still haven't really told us what it was used for. So I don't know what to call it. Um, but the glass room that Picard and his mother would use as their private little world. Um, they, we see that and it's like in disrepair. And then we see that Laris isn't there, but he's got this synth named Harvey, who's his butler. And then he looks at a painting of himself in a black uniform which is, you know, a like a sinister version of a Starfleet uniform. Mm -hmm. This time we get a, an extensive tour of the place and um, he's got all these Romulan slaves working for him in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. um, and we go into the um, into his private study and there are skulls on. Not only are there weapons all over the walls. Right. And instead of a picture of the Enterprise, there is a picture over the mantle of a ship that's kind of like the Enterprise, but it's blasting everything in sight. Yeah. And we later learned that that his ship was his most famous ship was not the Enterprise. It was called the World Razor. Right. You know, as in to raise something to the ground. And then, but the the main thing is there are all these skulls on on pedestals, and they the first one we see is a Ferengi skull, mm -hmm. and so it turns out Ferengis have bones in their ears, which allows yeah. us to tell it's Ferengi. Um, but it's like okay, there that's kind of horrifying to see that because the Ferengi, as annoying as they are, are sort of lightweights they're not really a threat to humanity sure. and so we know that picard has killed ferengi even though they're not really a threat to humanity um then there's a borg skull that still has its its biomechanical implants but no flesh and then there's a there's a Cardassian skull and a Klingon skull and what we learn is a Vulcan skull and there are others and mm -hmm. Q starts giving us a tour of them and he identifies the Cardassian skull as Gul Dukat yep. who Picard killed and he introduces the Klingon skull as General Martok who Picard killed. Mm -hmm. And he introduces the Vulcan skull as Sarek, who Picard killed on the steps of the Vulcan Science Academy in right. front of Amanda and Spock. Yep. And it's like, wow, this is hor this is this is horrifyingly dark. Yeah. And he tells us that Goldicott is the reason why Picard has the synthetic body now, is because Goldicott yeah. must have wounded him so severely that he needed the needed to have his body replaced uh, so that ties that in why this version of Picard is also uh, a, a robot robot. Yep. Mm -hmm. One thing that's interesting is I, you know, I kind of complained last episode that Picard is not the same Picard that we've known. And we, we've it's, it's kind of been a complaint throughout the entire series, but y you know, you see flashes of the confident resolute Picard in general Picard, but of course he's much more cruel you know, he's, he's very much a, uh, evil version of Picard, but mm -hmm. you know, he's, we still see the flashes of the Picard we like where he's actually confident and, you know, takes charge and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. uh, and we see him, 
at one point, Picard is watching some of the hollow recordings of his speeches, and he says, a human galaxy is a safe galaxy. So you get the idea of what this this uh, totalitarian regime is about. Yeah, and that we hear other people say that, too. At one point, we're kind of flying over a city skyline. It looks like San Francisco, and maybe, and we see a giant holographic statue of a man who's the title on the statue says his name is Adam Sung mm-hmm. and he's playing it's it. So this is another, this is another iteration of the Sung dynasty played by Brent Spiner. And yep. even though he's not in the credits, we hear Brent Spiner's voice as Adam Sung saying a safe galaxy is a human galaxy. And so this is apparently a common societal slogan. And I don't know, maybe Adam Sung was the one who introduced it. It could be. It could be, but um, yeah. but the reason why Picard is going to San Francisco is because he's been called to the presidential palace by President Annika Hansen. Yeah, so we get uh, we get to catch up with Seven and what she's been doing, and she basically wakes up in a bed and is stumbling around in the morning as you do, and then she looks in the mirror and sees she doesn't have her Borg implants. Mm-hmm. She's just a normal human woman. And her 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 Alexa refers to her when it wakes her up as Annika instead of as seven. Mm-hmm. And I like when she when she when she realizes she doesn't have a Borg implant, she's like, this is impossible. And she's looking in the mirror and she she says, like, OK, sanity, rationality check. And she whips out some lipstick and writes Euler's identity on the mirror um it's e to the i pi plus one equals zero and this is a very famous identity in mathematics it was it was um it was it's named after the mathematician leonard euler um and so i like the fact they used they took the time to look up a real world formula that's kind of central to some of the foundations of modern mathematics Mm. that they could use for her to use as a sanity rationality check. And so she rededuces Euler's identity in lipstick on the mirror and concludes she's sane. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. She also does a, does a sense check where she smells a candle. She puts her hand over the flame to feel it. So she Mm -hmm. realizes this is real life. This is, this isn't a dream. This isn't a, a, a hollow hologram. This is, this is real life. Yeah, she says going on here. I like the candle is self-lighting, just like we have Mm -hmm. today, self-lighting light bulbs, you know, so that when the the pizza guy comes to your door, they light up automatically for him. And she's got a self-lighting candle um, and then and she smells it and concludes, well, you can't smell in a dream. Therefore, this is not a dream. I'm not sure that that's true, that you can't smell in a dream. I'm pretty sure dogs do. And I don't know, maybe humans do, too. But but anyway, she concludes that. Because she could smell this candle, she's not dreaming. Yeah. So as she's going with this, her her husband comes in, her, her, who's her aide as well, and, and identifies her as the president of the Confederation. Yeah. And also, and he doesn't even get a name. He's just the nope. Confederation magistrate. Exactly. But, and, and, but he's in his little military Mao like uniform and he keeps calling her darling. And yeah. <laughs> it's a little it's a little it's interesting. Um, I think there's a reference here some and I haven't looked up the details to see exactly. But I think they're I think they're playing on the fact that Jerry Ryan, the actress who plays seven, was married to a politician. Mm. who who then got caught in like a sex scandal 
And I haven't I haven't gone back and revisited the details of that. I remember when it was originally in the news, but I think they're they're playing on the fact by having seven married to a politician here and and being the president. I think they're somehow riffing on the fact that in real life, Jerry Ryan was married to a politician and it didn't go well. Okay, yeah. So she was married to an an, uh, investment banker turned politician by the name of Jack Ryan. Mm-hmm. So he went off to do his uh, Tom Clancy. I mean, no, presumably. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So um, yeah, but that was only for about eight years. But yeah, that's a, that's a good way to, to think about that, that uh, uh, they're kind of playing off that. But he's he's not the most likable character. He's kind of. Well, he's an unsympathetic totalitarian. Exactly. Exactly. But uh, he gets Although her. He's not a mustache twirling villain. He's kind of a I kind of got the sense he's sort of like a nebbish. You know, he's yeah. just kind of an ineffectual guy who's doing he's not he's not super bad. He's just doing what he can in the situation he finds himself in. He's a functionary. I mean, his, yeah. his job is to to keep her on task, to keep, you know, make sure the speech gets written. You know, you see the the whole speech about uh, earth's merciful power, you know, and, and things like that and making sure that she's where she needs to be and chasing after her as she teleports across the the city to different places. Um, at one point he, you know, she says that she wants to have an update from the, from the war front and he offers to call general Cisco. Mm-hmm. So, so we know, the, no, he ended up okay. Sort of in yep. this dark universe. Well, and there's, there's question, you know, is this Ben Cisco or Jake Cisco? Oh, yeah. well, that's true. I assume it's Ben Cisco. Yeah, I, I did too, but I, I saw online someone kind of commented that this is old enough, you know, long enough after DS9 that it could have been Jake because mm-hmm. uh, we don't know anything about that. Hopefully that's something they'll kind of play with a little bit other than just have this little one line throw out mm-hmm. there. But as she's sorry. No, well, I was I think you were just going to say she insists on talking to uh, uh, Colonel. She learns his rank is Cristobal Rios, who is not in charge of the Stargazer. Instead, he's he's the apparently the chief strategist for the final uh, raising of Vulcan, which is currently in progress. And he he is he's in his ship. She's just guessed that if I woke up in this new world, maybe everybody from the Stargazer did. And that's actually something that I don't know if they're going to deal with, because there were presumably hundreds of people on the Stargazer Mm -hmm. and we're really just connecting up the Picard crew. Right. You know, Picard and Seven and Rios and Agnes and 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 Elnor and Rafi. What happened to those other hundreds of people that were on the Stargazer? Did they wake up too and keep their memories, or did they not? Or I don't know if they're going to answer that question for us. Um, and there are different ways they could answer it. They could say Q only brought over the consciousnesses right. of these people, but I don't know if they're going to answer it. But uh, Seven guesses. That if she has her memories of the of the other timeline, that Rios would too, and that other members of their group would, and so she starts talking to Rios over a secure channel, but they don't know if they can trust each other, right? And so, so because she hasn't confirmed her hypothesis, so she has to broach the subject very carefully, and she says, like Colonel Rios, um, don't worry, this is a completely secure channel. I need accurate information about what's been going on. So if anything unusual has been going on, you should feel <laughs> perfectly free to let me know. 
Yeah, kind of. They did a good job with that. They really did a good job of just kind of like let's get the hint out there, like you know, okay, things aren't what they seem. And of course, he immediately goes seven, and she, you can see her just collapse. Okay, yeah. we're good. <laughs> you know. <laughs> also, I like how at one point, you know, they're struggling to figure out what's going on around them, and they need because mm-hmm. like this is eradication day, and Picard has been told that, but Seven has not. She doesn't know what's going on. She just knows there's this speech coming up, and she doesn't know what eradication day is, and her factotum husband is starting to figure out that she is thinking about something other than today's events. Right. And and he questions, you know, shouldn't we really be doing um, shouldn't we really be doing what we're here to do today? And she has another greatly written line, because this is the point where the audience needs an exposition dump. We need to be told what is going on. And Seven needs to be told what is going on, but she needs to ask it in a way that seems natural. And so she says to her husband, well, why don't you tell me what our priorities today are? And then I will tell you if you have the right priorities. Yeah. (laughs) Which is a great way to ask for an exposition dump. Exactly. Exactly. So we learn about uh, Elimination Day, what it's all about and everything there. And we'll talk about that here in a little bit. I should mention that Rios is on La Serena. He's back on La Serena instead of, like you mentioned, he's not on the Stargazer. He is mm-hmm. on La Serena, which we'll hear that later. Alone. Yeah, he doesn't have anybody else, any other crew members on the ship. Um, and he's he's jumped right into the middle of the battle. You know, so they said it, it, the way they express it is they'd set up some kind of trick to draw the, the Vulcan fleet out after him. And that's when he wakes up is when they first attack him. And then the rest of his crew comes, the rest of his fleet comes in and wipes him out. But then yeah. he gets recalled to Earth by seven. Uh, meanwhile, as all this is going on, Raffi and Elnor, they wake up in Okinawa mm-hmm. and Elnor's a rebel who helped blow up five buildings. Right. He's apparently part of an alien underground and they are fighting for their freedom by blowing up stuff in Japan. Yep. Yeah. So it's a retaliation for Cardassia, Andoria, Kronos, Vulcan, and Romulus. So must have been other battles at those different planets. Yeah. And then Raffi oh, is oh, the- also we learned that uh, Picard from Harvey, because Picard mm-hmm. is still like, where is Laris? And yeah. we've never and Harvey tells him we've never had a Laris on staff here. She's never been one of our slaves. Right. And then he does some memory checking, which causes his eyes to go weird. And then he says, oh, but you did kill a Laris and her husband, Javon, at the gates of Romulus. Would yeah. you like me to show you Im- victory images of their dead bodies? I know you exactly. like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Picard has to be stern. But but then Raffi shows up uh, there in where as Elnor is running away and she's the chief of police. She's so she arrests Elnor and takes him to seven for interrogation, mm-hmm. supposedly. But of course, that later changes. So so this is how Raffi and Elnor get pulled back in with the rest of the crew. And it's a little uncomfortable for Elnor with his total candor. And she's just like, go with it, baby. Yeah. Just, <laughs> <laughs> I, I like the interaction between Raffi and Elnor in this, yeah, this she's, episode. She's got it's a fun. very motherly interaction with him. And Elnor is obviously very comfortable with her as well. And it, it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of fun. There's, there's a couple of scenes that are pretty good. Um, and then finally, the last one, we've got Agnes. She's got her pet cat spot 73. 
So it's taken her 73 times to recreate Spot, apparently. Yeah, he's a little animation that's voiced by Patton Oswalt. Um, And he lives in like a kind of looks kind of like a picture frame. Yeah. Um, But he's a little animation of a cat. He refers to himself as a domesticant. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. You know, of course, that comes up later about her, you know, her always wanting to make, you know, pet, you know, AI pets and whatever. Uh, one one thing she says is, you know, she accidentally calls seven, seven instead of Annika or president in it because they were in college together and she was Annika seven shots. Yeah, they were drinking buddies in college is the cover story that she uses to explain why she instantly called President Hansen seven when they yep. met in front of her factotum husband. Yeah. And and Agnes is rather interesting as she's trying to explain all this. She I don't think she breathes in some of those but yeah. um incidentally the 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 cat spot character is mm-hmm. he doesn't really add much to the story, but he does suggest that in this timeline Agnes is a bit of a rebel she's she's kind of because he's talking to her as she's like waking up the the spot character is talking to her and commenting on social conditions and how people are too into eradication day Mm -hmm. and he's talking to her in a way that's that could be construed as seditious right and 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 so that since he's programmed by alternate Agnes that mm-hmm. that would suggest alternate Agnes is in some degree not on board with the totalitarian stuff. Right. Um because otherwise she wouldn't let her her AI talk sedition to her. Right, exactly. Which is which is kind of interesting because she's in the position to I'm assuming study and definitely mm-hmm. uh guard the Borg queen, the, the last remaining member of the collective mm-hmm. that is to be ex- uh, executed. So it, it's interesting that she's in that, that position when she really is kind of a, like you said, she's kind of a, a quiet rebel. Mm-hmm. So she, so, so this is a good point then to talk about the Borg queen. So apparently mm-hmm. the, the entire Borg collective has been destroyed except for the last queen. And actually, if you it's not it it goes by really quickly. But if you pause the frame, that picture over Picard's desk in his office Mm -hmm. is not just of the world razor. It's of the world razor firing in multiple directions on a Borg cube that has been torn in half. Mm. And so Picard has had a lead position in destroying the Borg Collective, and now it's down to her. And this Borg Queen is interesting. Um, the makeup is a little bit different. It's a little more alien. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. It's not as seductive. It's it's kind of harsher makeup a little bit. And she has this quirky, jerky performance. Yeah. The actress does. Um, she's she's she acts very rattled. And you could understand if she's a queen that's been seen her collective destroyed and is no yeah. longer in communication with it. That's going to rattle you. Yeah. Um, she she talks in this way that is sometimes coherent, but sometimes it's not. And she's saying random things like one of the things that she keeps saying she says it several times, and I'm thinking it's going to come back and have significance in the future. But she several times says she has a splinter in her flesh. Mm. 
And I don't know what that means, but she says it more than once. I don't know who she's talking about or what the splinter is, but I'm guessing that we'll get some more on that. Um, What her performance reminds me of is the hybrid in Battlestar Galactica. Oh, sure. Um, The hybrid was a part human, part cyborg um, entity, a woman that slept in a tank of goo and ran all of the essential functions on the Cylon base stars. Mm-hmm. And and she would talk in this stream of consciousness, poetic, disconnected way, um, right. suggesting that she's in communication with or is operating on some higher, weirder level that we can't comprehend. And the Borg Queen's performance in this reminded me a lot of the hybrid. Um, And it's similar in that she's also biomechanical and has things connecting her to other things like the hybrid and and she's not complete. Just like you never you never saw the hybrid's legs. You only saw her torso poking out of the goo. And here the the Borg Queen is basically a torso. She has no legs or arms Mm -hmm. um, because they've taken those away from her. Yeah, I, I like the way the, the Borg Queen was portrayed. I mean, mm-hmm. at, least, at least when she was in the, in the laboratory there, it was very, uh, you know, like I said, manic at some points and then calm and almost, you know, I, I don't know how you would put it, but, you know, very almost satisfied sometimes when she's yeah. talking too. you know, kind of smug. And, yeah, smug. That's a good way to put it. And so it's very, very interesting. Um, one thing that we find out is that Borg Queens have some kind of temporal connection to other Borg Queens and other universes. And so this is part of the reason why she's almost insane is because she recognizes that time has split, that something has changed in time, that time is broken, as she says, um, and helps them to figure out when the split occurred, which is 2024 Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Um, and she also mentions there being a watcher there to assist them. And. I'm. I don't know that it will be, but part of me wonders if the watcher is going to be Guinan. Right. Yeah. It, it will be interesting to to see how they play that out. And you're, you're probably right. I mean, that would that would probably make the most sense since we know that Guinan was supposedly on Earth in the 19th century, so likely she could be in the 21st century as well. Um, one oh. thing that the oh sorry. Oh no. I, well, one thing I was going to mention before we move on from the destruction of the Borg is. Um, Picard, the factotum husband, says that Picard, uh, General Picard, has petitioned for the title Borg Slayer. <laughs> and this is this is something that um, I don't know if the writers are aware of it. I assume they are. Um, but that actually goes back to the Roman Empire. Um, oh, sure. What would happen is uh, if a general had had a, a great victory, um, he would sometimes be allowed to take the name of the people he conquered on behalf of the empire. And so mm. um, uh, so you had um, Claudius's father was named and the emperor Claudius's father was called Germanicus because he conquered the Germans. And right. one of Claudius's sons, the biological one, not the adopted Nero, um, was named Britannicus because Claudius had conquered the Britons. Oh, sure. And so this this getting to name yourself after this or have a title after your great conquest is something that actually has roots in history. And so it it made sense to me that Picard would, you know, get would have a title in a universe like this that's kind of based on the Roman Empire um, right. of Borg Borg Slayer. 
And I, I wonder if that was conscious because there's there's other things, especially in, in the, the, the ex elimination day show, if you will, um, that kind of call back to a Roman Empire, stereotypical Roman Empire mm -hmm. uh, scenery dressing and everything. So yeah, I wonder like, if that was kind of a conscious choice, like the execution of the Borg Queen. So mm -hmm. um, after the Jewish war of AD 66 to 70 plus um, the Romans, what they would do is they would they wouldn't kill everybody they would uh take like some of the leaders and some of the captives they got in war and bring them back to Rome and parade them publicly and then at the end of the parade they would kill uh some of them so for example one of the key Jewish rebels was uh Simon Bargiora and and by the way if you're ever rebelling against the Roman empire just pro tip, if you're ever rebelling against the Roman Empire and they have, see, they have sealed you up in Jerusalem and are surround, surrounding and besieging you, do not burn your own grain supply, okay? Bad <laughs> move. Do not burn your own grain supply. That will not actually help you. Wow. Um, but, uh, there was factional division <laughs> in Jerusalem with these like three rebel leaders, one of whom was Simon Bargiora, and he ended up surviving the war itself only to be taken back to Rome and paraded around. And then they took him to the top of the Tarpeian rock, which is a feature on the Capitoline Hill in Rome. It's a big, tall thing. And in the 12 tables, there are prescriptions for if you do certain crimes, you're executed by being hurled from the Tarpeian Rock. So they wow. brought Simon Bargiora back to Rome, parade him around, big triumph for the for the generals Vespasian, who's now emperor, and his son Titus, who conducted the final stage of the Siege of Jerusalem. And we've got Simon Bargiora here. He's totally humiliated. We've also got the menorah from the temple. And we're showing that around and we get Simon Bargiora up to the top of the of the Tarpeian Rock and poof, off he goes. Ah. So um, so, uh, yeah, uh, this is executing your enemies publicly is something that also has roots in human history. Yeah, that is interesting. I didn't, I didn't know that about the, the execution. That's pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. um, one thing the board queen does is when seven walks into the room, immediately identifies her as tertiary. Tertiary adjunct of Unimatrix Zero, which, of course, Seven's full name was Seven of Nine, tertiary adjunct of Unimatrix Zero, but then also identifies her as Annika Hansen, who escaped assimilation. Yeah. So you had a combination of, of both those, sees both of them. Um, but, of course, you know, they're, they're there and, for and the she asks, oh. she asks tertiary adjunct of Unimatrix Zero to help her. Exactly. Exactly. So, but, of course, they're there for the elimination day, and, and Annika's husband comes in to... to get her off to the, the, the performance. Uh, and it, so the crew split, we got Rafi and Elnor going to lower the, the transporter block, which has been put up, of course, right at the last minute as they're ready to transport everybody out, including the board queen. And then, uh, yeah. So, is gonna so, so there's this moment where they're about to beam up to La Serena and then go fly around the sun. And they're, yep. as we mentioned, they're bringing the board queen because they need someone who can do all the necessary calculations since they don't have Spock there. Right. Um, and um, and so they start to beam out and it doesn't work. And it mm -hmm. turns out that this is because, well, it's it's eradication day and there's extra security 
for the facility where they're doing this. So they have a, a screen to prevent beaming. They then take out communications for the same reason. And it's not that the La Serena gang has been detected. It's just these are the security precautions for Eradication Day. And they were mentioned in uh, the presidential briefing that Seven got. Yeah. And so, yeah, they've got the, the block. And again, it's always the last second. It's always just as they're about ready to do it, it, it happens. And so... uh like I said, Rafi and Elnor are going to to remove that temporarily. Uh, Yurati is working to uh, break through the communication block that's there so mm-hmm. that they can uh, get, communicate with La Serena and beam out. And then Seven and Picard go to do the, the show uh, to cover for them until the time is ready. And it's... You know, they come out, of course, this is a big performance, you know, Seven goes up and gives a speech and there's there's a line. She goes, witness what awaits rebellion, insurrection and then pauses resistance. And it's kind of interesting, you know, it's it's significant that that she pauses at that moment as she's saying that speech, because, of course, you know, the, the famous Borg resistance is futile. Well, now the, the humans are using that as part of their confederation. Resistance is futile. Mm-hmm. Oh, and by that, the way, I, I wanted to mention there is a great moment just before the speech begins where they're all, all the La Serena gang are down in Agnes's lab where the Borg queen is. And, um, and the factotum husband comes in and it's, he's like, what are you all doing here? Because it it's this very implausible situation where it's like, okay, we've got the president down here with her main general, and her college drinking buddy, maybe with the head of security and a Romulan spy terrorist all around the Borg Queen when we're about to execute the Borg Queen. What is going on here? This looks very suspicious. And so he's clearly suspecting them. And he says, what are you doing? And Seven and Picard don't know what to say. And out of nowhere, Agnes starts blathering this explanation she's made up on the spot that totally makes sense of everything. And it's like, wow, Agnes is a super fast, super good liar. <laughs> and it's it's funny. She just reels this stuff off and just blurts it all out. And it makes total sense of of the data in a non-suspicious way. Um and it goes by so fast, no one can really follow it. And they're all just kind of stunned. <laughs> and the the factotum husband just is like, OK, <laughs> and, time to go. <laughs> and, and then as soon as she as soon as Agnes is alone, she just like collapses. She didn't know she had that in her. Yeah, it, it, that's right. It comment where it's, it's almost like she doesn't breathe. She just rambles off about this Romulan spy or supposed Romulan spy the queen knew about and this, that, and the other thing. It turns out it was bogus. And we, the reason why I called her seven, because, you know, she was, you know, Annika seven shots and it just da 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 da. And he just kind of looks at her like, well, okay, well, it's time to go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It was that was it was it was clever and, and it was, again very well done by the actress to just rattle it off that quickly. I, I'd love to see some of the outtakes of that scene. Yeah, because I'm, I'm sure there were there are plenty where it didn't quite work as well. Um, so they're out. Uh, Picard and Seven are out on the on the stage, and Picard's pumping up the crowd. He's doing the you know the fist pumps and you know raise the roof and all that, which is stalling, but it actually works in context because he's got yeah. this rabid crowd who are there to see the Borg Queen executed, and. You know, if you're being vicious and evil, you want to draw that out. You don't just want to zap her. And so to make it satisfying, he's he's drawn it out 
and a little it, too it, long. But it's a little too long, and the crowd gets impatient and starts uh, calling for him to execute her, and they start turning on him. And yep. and I'm wondering what is Picard going to do? And eventually, he he says to Seven, "We may have to fight." Yep. And in the background, everybody else is on task. Um, Agnes has been has temporarily punched through the communications blackout and talked to Rios, but then she loses it and has to rebuild it again. Um, Rafi and Elnor have gone to the security area where they have the uh, the force field that's blocking transport. And 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 this is a really interesting scene um, because Rafi brings in Elnor, who is who is handcuffed. And and she says, this guy, you know, is a Romulan terrorist. He just did bad stuff. I brought him here to security um, as a little present. Merry Christmas and shoves Elnor towards them and they start beating Elnor up. Mm-hmm. And this is the distraction, them beating Elnor up while she focuses her attention on the computers to try to bring down the transportation. And right. eventually one of the other aides who's in security, because she's security chief, one of the other aides in security realizes she's taken down the force field. And she's like, what are you doing? And Rafi says, Elnor, they're yours. And all of a sudden, instead of being <laughs> passive and and taking the beating, Elnor, still handcuffed, starts kicking their butts. Oh, big time. And and so we realize he's just been holding back this entire time. And and he's just he's leaping and he's kicking people and he's slamming their heads into things. And at one point, someone. So one of the designers, there's an interview with one of the designers I saw part of where they said it would we thought it would be interesting to make these com badges that they're wearing be more than oh, standard com badges. Okay. That they're actually weapons. They've got a sharp edge, so you can use them like throwing stars. And one of the security officers uses his com badge or her com badge as a throwing star and pitches it at Elnor, who ducks out of the way, so it impacts the chest of another security officer. And Elnor, with his hands tied together, then takes that, takes the throwing star com badge out of the guy's chest and slashes his throat with it. Yeah. And so Elnor is just incredibly in charge of this situation as soon as Rafi tells him he can he can take charge and he does. Yep. Yeah, I, I missed that it was the com badge. I you know, I, I saw the the throwing star and I, I missed that it was the com badge. That is actually a pretty clever clever idea for, for a speech or for a totalitarian government like this to have that. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was a, that was good design. But of course, at the last minute, they, they all get beamed up. They get it all figured out and get beamed up uh, yeah. to La Serena. I, I, and I also I wanted to say in the execution scene, I wish they had found a way to communicate this. But having been assimilated by the Borg and the Borg Queen even identifies Picard as you're Locutus, but right. not now. Um, it must have been. Jean-Luc Picard must have had amazing internal feelings mm-hmm. of being there in the position to kill the Borg Queen and end the Borg Collective in this timeline. Right. I mean, how much part of him must have wanted to do that, but yet he couldn't. 
because they need her and also because federation morality um Mm -hmm. and and it it, i wish they could have brought out that internal conflict that jean-luc picard as a character must have been feeling in that moment where he had the ability to end the collective Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely absolutely i'm kind of surprised they didn't surprised they didn't say something you know, whether mm-hmm. part of Seven Speech or Picard himself or, you know, because they, they're pretty good about talking about feelings in these shows nowadays. So yeah. I'm kind of surprised they didn't. But um, oh, by the way, speaking of having your net your neck slit with a with a com badge, 25th century medicine. Don't worry about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they, they can fix it. They can fix anything short of death. And even that I think they can bring back to. But, uh, but yeah, they get beamed up at the last minute and then. They, you know, they act like they're in a big hurry to get out of there, but they don't go to warp. I know. And it's so, like dude, and they walk go, around and step yeah. one, go to warp anywhere, yeah. but go to yeah. warp, <laughs> find, find some place between the stars and hang out while you do the calculations and then do it. Um, but then the magistrate, the first husband overrides using the presidential override and beams up to, to capture them. You know, the last that he's going to get the traitor Picard. Yeah. Which, you know, it's kind of like, well, this is why you got to be in a big hurry so that he can't do that. You got to get at least out of range of transporters. Yeah. And the first thing he does when he when he beams on board is shoots Elnor. So mm-hmm. to get that guy out of action first. Well, he, yeah, Elnor moved right to him and or was moving towards him. That's why he got shot. So yeah. and that's where we end there. The crew is captured and to be continued. Yeah. Uh, so anything else from you, Jimmy? Nope. Oh, that, okay. Well, I will note that it, when so they've got the Borg Queen in this stasis thing, um, although she's not frozen, um, but she's in this kind of I don't know what you'd call it. It's kind of like a baby carriage basket yeah. thing only for a Borg Queen. And mm-hmm. it's clear that they're using anti-gravity because Agnes is pushing it around like it weighs nothing. Right. And um, as she's pushing the Borg Queen back towards the central computer access point on the La Serena, there are these significant there's a significant exchange of glances mm-hmm. between the Borg Queen and Agnes. And yeah. Agnes is clearly a little bit uncomfortable with this while the Borg Queen is just very serene. And so yeah. they're pretending portending that something is going to happen between Agnes and the Borg Queen. And it could be any number of things. This A simple thing would be she's going to try to assimilate her. But since they just did, since they just explained that Agnes got off of killing her previous boyfriend because of temporary alien-induced mental insanity, yeah, that's not the good writing choice here. So wow. I suspect they're going to do something else, at least in the short term. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was kind of an interesting scene. I mean, it, I like the camera work where you're, you're looking up at the queen and she's just looking down again, very serenely, almost smugly, you know, just kind of just kind of hanging out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I enjoyed this episode. I think this was actually a pretty good, pretty mm-hmm. good episode all in all. It, it moved pretty well and it was, it was very interesting. I like so, it much better than if it had just been let's immediately go back to the 21st century. Right. We, we need to see this totalitarian world in order to understand why it needs to be destroyed the same way that like in Lord of the Rings, we need to see the Shire and how good it is in order to understand why it needs to be saved. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, 
Well, we have some uh, feedback, as I said at the beginning of the show. Uh, first one, and both of them are from our recent conversation on Star Trek Generations, the movie Star Trek Generations. So the first one comes from our regular uh, feedback contributor, Bennett Gillespie on hey. Facebook. Great show. One mini fact that I found interesting is that an uncredited crew member is Patricia Tallman, who is a lot of people know of Lyra from Babylon 5. Mm-hmm. She was there because Leah. she was Leah. Um, she was there because as well as acting crew member, she was a stunt woman and is the body double for Crusher falling from the ship rather than Gates. Can't be unseen once known. Yeah, and Patricia Tallman actually shows up through uh, both TNG and uh, DS9. Yeah, a bit, few times anyways. Yeah, she she works or has worked as a stunt woman rather extensively, including on science fiction shows. And I'm always on the lookout. You see a a tall, thin, redheaded woman in the background. And I'm always, is that, is that Pat Tallman? Um, And sometimes she's, sometimes she gets a speaking part, which is nice. Um, Often on, on Star Trek under layers of latex uh, face makeup, but, um, but she does show up. And anytime you have a stunt involving a tall, thin redhead, it good chance it's going to be Patricia Tallman. Yeah. Yeah. So she, she shows up quite a bit. It's pretty interesting. So thanks for that, Bennett. And then our second one is from Chris Shortelli via email. He says he just became a patron. He wants to compliment all of us. Yay. Dom, Dom, Jimmy and Father Corey on an excellent podcast. He says he also enjoys Mysterious World, as does his 12 year old son, Ryan. Awesome. His 11 year old Zach someday, too. He just hears them listen to it now. Mm-hmm. Uh Regarding your recent Generations review and discussion, agree pretty much with all of your points. I would add my biggest criticism of the movie, how it handled in-universe Kirk's second death. Next Gen initially tried to portray Kirk as just another captain in the Naked Now, and then later when Spock and Scotty appeared, it was acknowledged that Kirk and crew were legends. So at the end of the movie, how is there not a scene or speech by Picard to Riker about how he met the famous James D. Kirk, or even some kind of funeral scene? Anything? There's no reference. There's nothing. Yeah. Instead, instead, the emotion, the final moments is reserved for his cat. I was so disappointed. So for Data's cat. Yeah. The um, it, there has been significant criticism of of the end of generations as the send off of Captain Kirk. Um, and and yeah, I think it could have been it. it, it I I. I it, I would be interested to explore how it could have been handled differently Um, because and they actually did go back, as we mentioned, and reshoot the ending because originally Malcolm McDowell killed him and Mm. and this was viewed as not being heroic enough. And so they went back and redid part of the ending and they were thus working around footage they already had. And they may not have been able to like have a, a new scene with Riker talking sure. about it um but it would be interesting to to think through how it could have been better handled without completely changing the energy dynamic of right. of moving into uh, the emotional energy dynamic of of moving into mourning um and mm-hmm. then ending up letting the audience feel good i mean they did that at the end of of wrath of khan where we did have a funeral scene and, but then because of the Genesis Nebula, we had a way to make the audience feel good with the, Mm -hmm. I feel young line and, you know, gazing out at this glorious new creation before them and then zoom in and there's Spock's coffin. And we know we're coming back. This is not the end. 
But if you don't have that to make the audience feel good at the end, how do you handle the grief issue if you dwell too much on it? Right. Right. And he uh, he kind of makes a comment of how did also how did Picard drag Shatner up that mountain to bury him? Did, did yeah. he have help <laughs> uh, strapped into his back and repelled his way up? Um, I yeah. did free, free, free face rock climbing. Maybe Picard is stronger than we think he is, but uh, <laughs> then he looks. Uh, second point he makes uh, Starfleet doesn't know about the Borg until Q sends the Enterprise in the Delta Quadrant. But does that mean none of the refugees in generations ever mentioned the Borg? Also, how did Guinan end up on 19th century Earth in Time's Arrow, then as a refugee on 23rd century Earth in Generations? I really wish they had integrated the two crews and had that be the movie, a huge missed opportunity. Yeah, and Ron Moore and his co-writer tr- wanted to integrate the two crews and, and have them have them both, have them all be major players, and they just couldn't find a way to make it work. In terms of how did Guinan how is she on 19th century earth and then a refugee in the 23rd century? I don't think that's a problem because she's from a spacefaring species that lives for centuries. And so she was on 19th century earth. And then at some point she went back to her home planet and maybe after the 21st century, she went mm-hmm. back to her own planet and it got attacked by the Borg and she was a refugee in the 23rd century. So I don't, right. I don't see a problem there, but I do see a big problem with Starfleet's knowledge of the Borg, because Mm -hmm. the idea we've got these refugees and we don't even know what led to them being refugees is nonsense. Um, The idea that all the Alarians wouldn't talk about the Borg is crazy. They've done nothing to establish that. So Starfleet should know about the Borg from Picard or from Kirk's time onward. And they apparently don't. Now, what you might do is headcanon that or retcon it to say, well, yeah, Starfleet has known about them and it's been so classified because it's mm-hmm. so scary that the crew of the Enterprise, including Picard, had not been briefed on them. Sure. But that wouldn't be very satisfying because actually they they had been building up to the appearance of the Borg with the Borg scooping up cities on both sides of the Romulan neutral zone Mm-hmm. And that would have led to let's check the records and see if there's anything that could account for this. <laughs> it's right next to the records of the discovery from the, the 23rd century. So, I mean, you know, the, the, the Star Trek or Starfleet has a good way, rec, a good record keeping that they can keep things so secret. People don't even know what's there. So, I guess, yeah. apparently. But like you said, that's not a very satisfying answer. And it wasn't for discovery either. So, yeah, it comes off as a big plot hole. Yeah. So as we conclude, we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Charles W., Albert A., Scott H., Laurent S., and Dan F. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. We'd also think, like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits this show every week. So that's it from us. What did you think of Penance, the second episode of the second season of Picard? Let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash Trek or our Facebook page at facebook.com slash StarQuest Media or send us an email to Trek at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the next new episode of Picard. Until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, and I would say a safe galaxy is a human galaxy, but that's too creepy, so live long and prosper. 
Yeah, I prefer that one as well. And once again, I'm Father Corey Stika. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, I thought I really must see John Luke. And so I simply sought out the nearest explosion. Explosion.